You know what? While they're heading out, why don't we all stand up for the reading of God's Word? We are going to read from John chapter 14 today. It will be up here on the screens for you. We are in a series in the book of John, and we're linking that to today, which is Pentecost Sunday. So, this is the book of John, chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Here's what the word of the Lord says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Father, thank you for your word. I pray today by the power of your spirit, Christ would be glorified. Father, would you soften our hearts today? Would you Sharpen our minds. May we fall more and more in love with Christ. And may I, by the power of your spirit, preach the good news of our Lord and Savior. We love you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I I have the privilege of, of preaching with baptismal waters on me today. Fitting for Pentecost Sunday. This is awesome. Today, Jesus teaches his apprentices about an even better life. He teaches his apprentices about an even better life here in this passage. Now today is Pentecost Sunday, and I would venture a guess that most of the world has no clue it's Pentecost Sunday, but I would venture a guess that many within the church, at least the Western church, many who profess Christ as Lord and Savior also have no idea that it's Pentecost Sunday, and and if they do, it might not seem to matter all that much. Now, we know that Christmas is vital, and that Easter is crucial, but do we know that Pentecost is critical, or is there a Pentecost-shaped hole in our faith? We cannot properly understand the whole story of redemption, this beautiful story of redemption that is told from Genesis to Revelation without really understanding Pentecost Sunday. We can't understand who we, who we are and how we are to be in this world without understanding and delighting in what Pentecost Sunday means. Now, the, the story of redemption, um, without the beautiful truth of Pentecost, it, it's kind of like watching some cliffhanger of a movie and getting three quarters of the way through and then shutting it off and then being done, right? It's kind of like watching Star Wars episode four or five and then eh, never getting to six, right? You just, you just don't know how, how it finishes, right? All those narrative tensions, all those promises in the story, they, they never get to the payoff. Kind of like reading the first few books of Lord of the Rings and never getting to the return of the king. It just stops. You don't know where it's going. It doesn't have its full effect, So Pentecost Sunday, you could say, is about an even better life. An even better life. So let's figure out what this means. Um, First, what is Pentecost Sunday? Why is it so important? Well, a couple things here. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50th or or, or 50. 
It's the Sunday that takes place 50 days after Passover. Now, the Jewish people call it Shavuot, um, not Pentecost, and that means the Feast of Weeks, because it's seven weeks after Pentecost. Seven times seven is 49. It's 49 days, and add a Sabbath day in there, that's 50 days. And their celebration had to do with um, the, the wheat harvest coming in. But it also had to do with the fact, more so had to do with the fact that this was 50 days after Passover. They've left Egypt, right? The Passover happened. They leave Egypt. 50 days later, they are at what mountain? They're at Mount Sinai, right? So they're at Mount Sinai. And that's where God delivers his law. That's where God comes down on the mountain in fiery presence to be there with his people. So again, Shavuot, that's the Hebrew word. Uh, Pentecost, that is the Greek word for 50th or 50 days after Passover. And Jesus promised that the day of Pentecost would come. It was part of the grand plan. It was part of the plan. He would send a spirit to dwell within his people. So the day that the Jewish people, get this cool connection, the day that the Jewish people had long celebrated the harvest, God's plenty, his, his bounty coming to them, the day that they celebrated God's law being given with God's presence, his, his holy fiery presence being with them, the day that they celebrated that was the day that Jesus would send the Spirit to transform the hearts of his people, to write the law on their heart, as it was prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And so this day, this very day, 2,000 years ago, there were about 120 followers of Jesus in an upper room in Jerusalem. They were there because Jesus said, wait there. And so they, they waited after the resurrection. They, they were waiting there for him. And, and then in this fiery, storm-like display that was very reminiscent of what happened on Mount Sinai hundreds and hundreds of years before. In a marvelous moment, heaven broke into earth and the Spirit flooded into the hearts of his people. He, he came to dwell not just among them, right? To dwell actually in them, in his people. This is incredible. So, the big story, let's zoom out. Let's see how all this fits together. The grand story starts with God and his people dwelling together in the Garden of Eden, right? God is there with his people. He makes humanity to dwell with his, his people. And then the story from that point forward, Genesis on and on to the book of Revelation from chapter to chapter, verse to verse, on and on and on. It's moving somewhere. There's a great plan. There's a great purpose. And it's not just the cross. The great goal, the great aim isn't the cross. The great goal and the great aim isn't the empty tomb. What is the great goal? What is the great aim that God has been working everything towards? Well, here it is. It's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the plan. That's the purpose. That's where it's all been heading from page one. Right, from, the, from that great rebellion and rupture in the garden when humanity betrayed a good God who had only showed them his love. God has been on a mission to redeem, to heal, to restore Right? To be with his people, to dwell with the people who had kept alienating themselves from him over and over and over again. To be together. <laughs> to be together. That is the great goal, to be with our God. He wants to be with us. And Jesus makes this possible. So the incredible truth for us today, you might say the, the sermon in a sentence is simply this. Every apprentice of Jesus is a dwelling place of God. That is just a mind-blowing truth. 
that every apprentice of Jesus is a dwelling place of God. Every Christian has the spirit of God living within them. That means every Christian's a miracle. Every Christian's a miracle. This room right now is full of miracles. Living, breathing miracles. See, Christianity simply isn't some kind of worldview. It's, it's not just some new set of ideas. It's not some ideology. It's just not um, a new moral matrix or, or a simple choice. It's not a new app to be added, right, to our religious operating system. To be an apprentice to Jesus, to be a Christian, is, is an entirely new way of being. It's to have a completely new operating system. And Jesus had promised that this would happen. And he promised it in John chapter 14, which we read. Here's a quick map. I want to locate ourselves in the book of John since we've been going through the book of John. So here's a quick map of the book of John. The book of John moves forward in four main movements. So we have the prologue up there to the left, the book of signs. And that moves to the book of glory and then the epilogue. And the, the, the pulsing center of this gospel is the good news of eternal life, that we have eternal life in Jesus. Now, see where that star is at the bottom right in chapters 14 and 16, the apprenticeship master class? Our, our passage today is from that portion of Scripture. They've just had the Passover meal. Jesus is teaching his apprentices what it means to follow him, what this eternal life is going to be like. And this is the night before he is crucified. Okay? So that's our location in the story. And Jesus is going to teach us a ton in the short passage. So we're going to see about seven different things here regarding the Holy Spirit. So let's dig into it. John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. (laughs) Notice he doesn't say, if you do what I say, then then I'll love you. If you perform perfectly, then I might show my affections to you. He doesn't doesn't go that route. He says, love comes first. Love comes first. Love is the driver of of all of this. Apprentices of Jesus are those who love Jesus, who, who listen to him. They, they're those who want to abide with him, and therefore they want to obey him because they love him. See, the love of Jesus comes first. It's a call and response um, aspect to, to this life, to existence. His love begets love from us towards him, right? Because he first loved us, we, we love. So he loves us, and we love him, and then out of that love, we obey. But we get things backwards. We, we, we cross the circuits, and we think we have to perform and do all these things in order to be loved. And he flips it, and he says, no, you're loved. And out of that being loved, out of that radical grace that showers you and reshapes your heart and changes you, you operate completely differently. The Spirit empowers us to live well in God's world and God's way. The Spirit of God empowers us to live well in God's world, in God's way. See, grace births effort, doesn't it? Like, when grace is bestowed upon us, our affections are changed. And, and now we want to live differently. We don't have to live differently. You know, we have our arms twisted into it. We, we get to live differently. We get to walk by the Spirit because of His grace. All right, so... The life of following Jesus is one of trust and one of intentionality. It's one of blood, sweat, and tears. And it is a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God that he gives us so that we can live in his world, in his way. Jesus knows we need the help, right? He knows we need the help. We can't do it on our own. Now, the promise of the Spirit uh, here um, shows up in verse 16 and 17. He says in verse 16, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word there is, is paraclete. We'll get to that. I will give you another, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right. Jesus is going to ask his father to give them the spirit. Now, at this point in the story, it's forthcoming, right? The Spirit still needs to come. So Jesus has to do something before the Spirit comes. What does Jesus have to do? He has to go to the cross, and he has to rise out of that grave, and then he will ascend to heaven. See, he needs to atone. He needs to make a way. He needs to fix things that are, that are, are broken. He needs to bring us together with the Father because of um, the, the sin that's between us, there's been this gap, right? So he needs to atone for us. He um, needs to justify. He needs to do all these incredible things. And he's about to do it, right? The very next day, he's going to go to that cross. So a key thing that we should learn from this, though, is, is simply this. The Spirit's a gift from God. Now, the Spirit is a gift from God who comes by way of the work of Jesus. The Spirit is a gift that comes by way of of the work of Jesus. So the Spirit isn't something that can be bought, right? The Spirit isn't something that can be earned, that can be worked up, that can be activated. See, he says the world cannot receive the Spirit. And the natural person doesn't want the Spirit, doesn't, doesn't seek the Spirit, doesn't desire the Spirit. The Spirit is pure gift. The Spirit is sheer grace. We are a grace-shaped people. And this leads us to another point that, that Jesus teaches here. He says the Spirit is, is not a what, but a who. Right? The Spirit's not a what, but a who. And this is, we get this wrong all the time. Sometimes it's just, you know, a slip in our language, but often it's a, it's a radical misunderstanding that, that people have. Okay, so the word here um, that he uses is, is paraclete. He says um, he's going to ask the Father to send another helper, right? Another helper, that word helper is the word paraclete. Para means alongside, kind of like parallel, right? Uh, so para means alongside, and the cleat part of that word, that means called. So a paraclete or a helper is one who's called alongside you to help you. And Jesus is going to ask the Father to send another helper. One who's called alongside to counsel, like a, an advocate, like a legal counsel in court. Right? One who's going to be called alongside to encourage you. One who is going to be called alongside to empower you. And every time the, the, the scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is spoken of as, as a person, as, as a he, not some kind of um, energy to be harnessed. Right? Not some kind of power to be activated, wielded, or controlled. And this is really important for us, because sometimes we, we, we speak of the Spirit as some abstract energy. When really the Spirit is the third person of the, tr the Trinity, of our triune God, right? Our, our text here, by the way, says the Spirit of truth whom. That word whom is pointing to the fact that this is, this is a, a person, right? So the Spirit is the third person of God. And then, notice that phrase, another helper. So God's going to send another helper. Now, that word another, what does that refer to? What's the other that the word another refers to? It's Jesus, Right? So Jesus is praying to the Father that the Father would send another helper because Jesus has been their helper, right? Jesus is 
our helper. And it's so cool because there in, in the, the Greek there, that word another means um, one that's like this one. So in other words, Jesus says he's going to send another helper like me. That's because this is the spirit of Christ that is coming to live within his people. So the spirit will be like Jesus, but in us because it is the spirit of Christ. So that brings us to this next point. The spirit is within us, helping us. And this spirit that's within us, that's helping us, is the same spirit that is in Jesus Christ, right? Those are simple words for me to say, but that truth is just radical and mind-blowing. That the same spirit that was alive in Jesus Christ as he went and healed and touched and brought people back from the dead, as he spoke the words of truth, as he walked in this world in a completely different way, in a way that, that brought hope and joy and peace in his wake, that spirit is alive and well within us. It's incredible. So the Holy Spirit within us is at work continuing the ministry of Christ through us, through his church, his body here on this earth, right? We're not just sent on mission and left to our own devices. Like, hey, go figure it out. You got this. We're not left, right? He's with us. We don't have to figure this whole thing out on our own. He gives us wisdom. He empowers us to do what we are called to do. We don't just have to get scrappy with our finances and, and our skill sets and then, then do this thing on our own. Right? This is a spirit-empowered mission that we're on. It's a spirit-empowered mission. Since September 1968, the spirit has been moving here through his people here at this church to make mature and mobilize apprentices of Jesus. This is his mission. He is on mission. We get to be a part of it. The vitality of this church is found in the spirit of God in his people, in you, in you, in you. It's in his spirit moving through his people. The vitality that saw all of those students baptized, that's the spirit of the Lord moving. We saw that on display here today with, with these baptisms. We, we've seen it on display in the planning and the, pl- the preparation and all the resources that have come in to, to fund this new building for, for the children's ministry, for the disability ministry. That's the spirit of the Lord moving. That's not just ideas of men and women and, and, and our money. It's the Lord moving through his people, doing something greater than we could ever do on our own. And he's doing it from generation to generation to generation. And it doesn't stop with us. It's going to continue on until he comes back. And it goes all the way back to that first Pentecost. <laughs> and really it goes all the way back to when God created everything to be with, to dwell with his people. We get to be a part of that. All right, next we see that the spirit of, of the Lord is the spirit of truth in verse 17. And this is a spirit of truth. And so one of the ways that he is our, our helper is he helps us to understand reality, to live in accordance with reality. The spirit speaks the truth about God. The Spirit speaks the truth about us, and the Spirit speaks the truth about the world. The Spirit shows us Jesus, and Jesus points us to the Father. The Spirit convicts the world of its sin. He shows us, by His grace, He shows us our need. He calls evil what is evil. He calls wicked what is wicked. He calls good what is good. And the Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Revealing to us who Jesus is and how we deeply need him. 
Now, I, I want to say this. You know, this might help some of you. Some of you, this might not help at all. Um, but the spirit, this is for the more philosophically minded, okay? So the, the spirit of, of Christ, you could say, um, is the key to Christian epistemology. I did not just cuss, okay? <laughs> epistemology is the study of what we can know and how we can know it. How do we, how do we know reality? Philosophy is always talking about the subjective and objective. How do these things meet? The Spirit of God enters human beings. The one who is truth enters us. And so there is this relational connection between objective and subjective. We can access reality. We can live in accordance with reality because he has shown us what is real. And it is relational. That was for some of us. I hope that was helpful. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Now, um, I, I want to read the next portion here. Um, verse 18 and 19, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Ah, goodness, we could just sit on that all day. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Friends, he promises the Spirit will never leave us. He will never leave us. He didn't evacuate in 2020, you realize. Right? He didn't leave in 2021. It might have felt like that to some of us. But he didn't leave. Right? He is faithful. He will be here next year and the following year. He will be with you day in and day out. And, and I get it. Like, there's times where you feel lonely, right? There's times where you feel lonely. But we will never be alone if we are his. He is with us. Now, um, he's stubbornly loyal, as, as, our, as our students like to say, um, and the leadership likes to say. He's stubbornly loyal to us. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. But many of us, uh, we have deep wounds here, right? We have holes in our hearts because we know what abandonment feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like um, to have a spouse leave, to be betrayed, to have a friend betray us, forsake us, abandon us. We know, um, we know what it's like to have a parent ditch out on us. And we know the, the terror and the pain of being forsaken by someone we cared for. But he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is the truly faithful one. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is the spirit of adoption. It's, it's out of the spirit being within us that we can cry out, Abba, Father. That's how you know if somebody is a follower of Christ. If it, Earnestly they can call out and say, Abba, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. Now, uh, verse 19 and 21, he goes on and he says, Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's not confusing at all, Jesus. What is going on there? Uh, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Spirit unites us to Jesus. And I don't claim to understand this, okay? I'm not claiming I understand this, but... The Spirit unites us to Jesus, drawing us into the eternal life and love of God. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
The Father has always delighted in the Son. The Son has always delighted in the Father, the Spirit, this living love between the two. And we are drawn into the very fountain of joy and delight. There's nothing boring or lame or unloving about Christianity in any way, shape, or form. We are drawn into eternal life and the love of God by being included in this glorious dance because of the work of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, because of the love of the Father. We share in this relationship. That's awesome. Now, Jesus is quite serious with this. Um, It was even better for his apprentices that Jesus would leave bodily and that he would send his Holy Spirit to them, right? So Jesus says all this stuff, right? The night before he's betrayed and arrested, he knows full well that the worlds of those apprentices are about to get rocked. They are about to be shattered within 24 hours when their hope is crucified and buried. And he takes time to say, it's going to be hard, but it's going to get even better because of what happens. It's going to get even better. Look at John 16, verse 7. I have it up here. Jesus tells them, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. You could translate that. It's, it's going get, to get better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice he doesn't say, I will send it to you, right? Again, you can see, I will send him to you. There's a bunch of points there about the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do. Let's, <clears throat> let's add these up to see how they lead to an even better life. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so here's how we're going to add these things up. Our sermon and a sentence, so to speak, is this. Every apprentice of Jesus is a dwelling place of God. You're a dwelling place of the Lord of creation because he has breathed his breath into you because of the work of Christ. So the Spirit empowers us to live well in God's world and God's way. We can abide with Him. We can obey Him because His Spirit is within us. We don't have to do this thing on our own. He empowers us. And the Spirit is a gift from God who comes by way of the work of Jesus. We don't earn this. You don't have to try to claw your way up to heaven and make Him pay attention to you. He sees you. He sees you. The Spirit is not a what, but a who. The Spirit of Jesus Christ living within you. The Spirit is within you, helping you. He's here actively helping us. In your darkest hour, in the morning on Monday, like when you're grumpy, when you wake up and you're getting ready for work, He's there with you. You can speak with Him unceasingly. He's there when you get the phone call. He's there when you get the diagnosis. He's with you. And He's helping you. The Spirit speaks the truth about God, us, and the world. He shows us who we really are, what we're meant to be. He shows us what this world was designed for and how it's broken. He speaks the truth about it. The Spirit will never leave us. God will forever be our Father. You are not a spiritual orphan cast out into this cosmos. You are loved and cared for more than our, our brains could fathom. And the Spirit unites us to Jesus and draws us into the eternal life and love of God so we could dwell with him. Now, <clears throat> can I ask you, what would you be afraid of if Jesus were standing next to you? Like physically standing next to you today? Like what would you be afraid of? I mean, death could not hold him. 
Demons whimpered in his presence. Satan couldn't overcome him. He turned a torture device into the great emblem of hope. So whatever you're facing, like, would you be scared of that if Jesus were standing next to you physically? What would seem impossible if Jesus were standing next to you? You know, that, that great impossibility you face, would it seem so impossible if Jesus were right there with you in flesh and blood? I mean, he's the king of the cosmos. He spoke to the, to- the storm. He told it to shut up and sit down and the lake calmed, right? He healed impossible sicknesses. He got up out of the grave. What can stand before him? No sea, no storm. What would make you nervous? What out there in the world would freak you out if Jesus was standing right next to you right now? How brave would you be if Jesus was standing next to you right now? How much hope would you have in your heart if Jesus was standing next to you right now? And how much joy would you have if Jesus were standing next to you right now? See, I I believe that in the Western consumer-driven church, we have been so consumed with the not-quite-right question, will I go to heaven when I die, that we are not asking the even better question, will I dwell with God while I live here on earth? Will he move through me? Will heaven breathe through me? Do I realize that he is here, moving, changing things? The church is alive and well. There's all these forecasts out there of how the church is going to dissolve and all these people leaving the church and how many doors are shuttered each year of churches. He will build his church. He is moving. He is alive. So imagine, imagine how good it would be if Jesus is sitting there right next to you. If he was standing there with you no matter what you are facing. How cool that would be. But that's not what we have, right? He's not, he's not standing right next to you physically, is he? We have something way better. We have something way better. He dwells within us forever. Look, we don't have to wait in line to see him. We don't have to hop on a plane. We don't have to go to SFO. We don't have to hop on a plane and take the 13-hour flight over to Tel Aviv and get a lift from Tel Aviv and go to Jerusalem and go, go to the hotel there and then wait in line for our number to be called and go to the big building there and, and go in and see him at his throne and then have a few minutes with him and then he could bless us and move on because there's a whole queue of other needful people. Like he is with us 20 Four, seven. What we have now is even better than what the disciples had walking at their side for those three years in Galilee. And so often we look back and go, oh, I wish I could have. The disciples would look at us and go, are you kidding me? He is living and breathing within you. What can't you do with the Lord of heaven living inside of you? Do we believe we have it even better now that Jesus has ascended? Do you believe that you are living in and walking in all the spiritual inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus? Our lives can be even better. The more we abide with Jesus through the power of his spirit, the more we trust that he is within us and helping us, our lives get even better. Maybe not in the Western understanding of things, but our lives get even better. So here's my encouragement to you as as we close this. We are called to cultivate an awareness. 
of the Spirit's abiding presence. As followers of Jesus who are radically transformed by the love of God, we are called to put effort in to lean forward into this life of love. We are called to cultivate an awareness of the Spirit's abiding presence through Scripture meditation, to be in His Word. He speaks through His Word. He illumines His Word by the power of His Spirit. We are called to be an unceasing prayer. He's with us all day long, which means we can talk to Him all day long. And life together. The Spirit of the Lord is in you, and it's in you, and it's in, it's in you. Now tell me what I just said wrong. It. The Spirit of the living God is a who, and He is with you and me. Which means when we are living life together, there He is with us. Leading us, guiding us, encouraging us through one another as He speaks through one another. So let us as a church family cultivate an awareness of the Spirit's abiding presence as we continue to lean forward into our apprenticeship practices of scripture meditation, unceasing prayer, life together, and all the other ones that come alongside. And this Pentecost Sunday, as we look forward to the ministry that this church body has for years to come, as, as we move forward, let's move forward with an even better posture. Let us move forward with an even better mindset, an even better joy, an even better hope. May we live an even better life because the spirit of the living God is within us. For behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you would come to live among us precious treasure in jars of clay and that you would give us eternal life father would would we become today more aware of your presence may we trust you and live from this this great well of vitality and joy and hope that is within us because you are in our midst you are within us and we thank you thank you for this pentecost sunday in the name of christ we pray Amen.